0: Um, last week, uh, well, the whole series is called Unwrapping Christmas Gifts, and so we'll be looking at these gifts God has given us in the Christmas season. Some of us have uh, maybe realized these gifts exist. Um, We've maybe accepted these gifts and are living in light of them. Others of us may still leave these gifts under our trees and have never actually received them from God. And uh, the the gifts are the gift of promise, that was last week, this week will be the gift of provision, Uh, next week will be the gift of prophecy, then the gift of preparation, then the gift of presence, and then that will culminate in the Christmas Eve candlelight service, the greatest Gift where again, we will uh, do kind of a summary of all that God has done in Christmas. We'll, we'll sing some songs and um, I, I'll show how, how the greatest gift, because of our greatest need and the greatness of God, is Christ Himself, Emmanuel. So I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer and we'll look at, at this week the gift of provision. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that the, the cover the blinders would be removed from our eyes, Lord. That we would see you and your work clearly today. God, if we have any doubts, let them be removed as we see your work in this universe. God, you're one who can be trusted with your promises. You're one that can be relied upon. But God, we need your strength to see that. We need your help Would you do that today? Would you exalt yourself and your son? I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right. So last week, just to give you a quick uh, review of where we were, we looked at the gift of promise. We looked at the gift of promise, and that was specifically looking at Genesis uh, 3.15, where, where God told us uh, that he would send a Savior, that there would be uh, enmity between the woman and between the serpent who, who uh, tempted them to sin, and that there would be enmity between her offspring and the serpent's offspring, and that he would bruise the serpent's head, crush the serpent's head, but that the serpent would bruise his heel. And so we said there was a he. There was a he there, that there would be this offspring and, and that was awaited, and that was the big promise. And last week we saw how important that promise was, but I even went a little bit further. I, I showed you how important all promises are. This is kind of just a basic truth um, I want to remind you of, is that we, whether or not we even realize it, are always living and acting upon promises that we believe. And I, I gave you a couple examples. You go to work. Why? Why? because you just love work so much? No, because you believe the promise that you will receive a paycheck. Maybe you do enjoy your job. I hope you do, but I'm just saying <laughs> you expect a paycheck and that, 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 that drives you so you can provide and, and all of that. And even money itself, it's a piece of paper. It's a piece of paper, but yet we believe the promise that it is a promissory note that if we take it to a store, we can spend that money. And so we save our money, we spend our money, we we do these things, we live in light of these promises. Now here's one thing that I want to point out to you today, and this is where we're really going. You will not live in light of a promise that you do not truly believe. You will not live in light, you will not act upon your life, will not be affected by a promise that you don't believe Um, I can think of times like my uh, little uh, niece would would kind of be like, oh, can I have that? I'm like, no, I can't. Um, And she'd be like, well, I'll give you this. I promise, you know, like they they make these little promises and I'm just like, yeah, that's cool that you promised that. But I don't actually believe you. And so I don't act on those things. You can maybe think of examples of that in your life uh, where there are people— who make promises to you, but you have a backup plan, right, <laughs> for if, if they fall through. I've got some friends that are that way, sadly, that, you know, when, when they say, hey, we're, we're going to uh, do this, I say, okay, cool, but then I kind of have a back. If they don't do that, then here's what I'm going to do. But on the other hand, there are people that I can trust my life with, and those people, I, I, I live in light of the fact that they're trustworthy. And so, today, what I want to show you is that With God, with his promises, he is not only trustworthy, but he is reliable. He he not only is telling the truth and genuinely believes he's telling the truth, but when he says it, it will be done. And that's what we need to see, because I I truly think this, that if we see the promises of God, and we believe these promises of God— then our lives will be radically different, radically changed, because we will be living in light of them. that's, That's what I believe. And so that's what I want to show you today, how God not only makes promises, but then he provides for their fulfillment. So the first one I want to show you, the first provision God gives us, this first gift so that we can have confidence, is number one in your notes, the provision of a replacement. Provision of a replacement. If you'd turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to see how God carries out his plan that there will be this offspring. There will be a he who, who takes care of Satan's sin and death. But there's a problem really, really early on. In Genesis chapter four, we we meet the, the 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 second generation of humans, Cain and Abel. So Adam and Adam and Eve, uh, they're they're married. They have children. So they have Cain and Abel. Cain, we see in chapter four, uh, he he isn't so godly. He he works the fields. Um, Anyways, he he makes an unacceptable um, offering to God and does these things, whereas Abel is giving acceptable offerings to God. So you have this this godly offspring, and you have this rebellious offspring. At one point, trying to think of uh, what verse it is. Uh, Verse 8, you see that? 4 verse 8. It says there, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So, you have the, the, the godly offspring and the rebellious offspring, Abel and Cain. Cain kills Abel. There are no, now no more uh, godly offspring. And even there in verse 9 um, and following, it shows that God curses uh, Cain. It says, Then the Lord God said to Cain, Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So you have that. Cain kills the godly offspring uh, Abel, and then Cain is actually cursed by God. He's pushed away from the presence of the Lord once again. But there is an awesome thing that we see uh, happening here in, in uh, Genesis 4:25 and 26. I just want to remind you that the, the, the offspring, the lineage, this uh, offspring from which there will be enmity between Satan and the woman, the, the, this promise is already ended. <laughs> the lineage has already ended in this second generation. But then we see Genesis 4:25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son. And called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. So think about that. Mary, uh, not Mary, sorry. That's a couple, a lot of years later. Um, Eve is saying here, Oh no, God has made a promise that through my offspring, He will do this amazing thing. He will redeem us from this sin. He clothed us with the, 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 uh, the skins of the animals. We saw that in chapter 3, 21. And But now, the godly offspring's already dead. We have an offspring of Satan, sadly, a spiritual offspring of Satan, Cain, still alive, but we don't have a godly one. But here, she says, uh, his name is Seth, for God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. You know, I, I think that, that Adam and Eve, when they had Cain and Abel, they, they may have seen, you know, okay, one seems to be following God, that God's promises will probably be fulfilled through Abel, And they are probably, you know, banking on that, that through Abel, these things will happen. Then Abel, boom, gone. But you may have heard this saying. I honestly don't like little cliche sayings like this, but it may be helpful in this instance. When God closes a door, he opens a window. Have you ever seen God fulfill his promises, work in your life in a way that was completely different than the one you thought he was going to do? I, I can remember times, um, this is kind of getting sidetracked, but I just want you to, to see how God works. Um, when, I, when I first became a believer, I'm like, okay, God God's changed me, He's saved me, and you know, I've got the Holy Spirit. And I read things like Acts 1-8, that, where Jesus says, and my Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And He tells them to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But I'm like, okay, I've got the Holy Spirit, so I'm supposed to be His witness. And so I would make plans, and I still do this, I'd make plans to meet up with people with the the express intent of sharing the gospel with them. I'd go and meet up with a friend. And I remember this has happened to me probably four or five times, that I meet up with a friend. We'll we'll just say I meet up with John. There's a lot of Johns in the world, so can't really be talking about anyone. I'd meet up with John, you know. His last name's Doe. No, anyway, uh, I'd meet up with John and, and I, I'd be like, okay, God, you've got to show me how I'm going to share the gospel with him. And, you know, I'm gonna, it's going to be great. and I'm going to be your witness, and you're going to work. And then I barely even get to talk to my friend. But you know what? They'd have invited another friend. <laughs> so we'll say, uh, you know, Carl, <laughs> their buddy, comes. And I end up hardly saying a word to John, and I'm just spilling the gospel to Carl, a man I've never even met, never prayed for, never anything God closes the door, but opens this window for his will to be done. That's what happened here. This very first provision, the provision of a replacement. God said, you know what? It's not going to be through Abel, the the obvious answer. It's actually going to be through Seth that I do these things. There's so much. I haven't decided how much of uh, these verses I'm going to have us read um, but what happens next in the story of humanity? If you were to just flip and look at the headings in your Bible, you'd probably realize what, what comes next is we see Noah come on the scene. And lo and behold, who, does, who is Noah, an offspring of? Seth. So, what, what happens with Noah? What's going on there? If you want to go to, uh, let's see, Genesis 6, verses 5 through 7. 6, 5 through 7. It says there, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. These generations have happened. After, after Adam and Eve, That there's this curse. People are turning to their own ways. They're sinning, and it says there, the Lord saw the wickedness of, the, of man was great. Every intention and thought of his heart was evil continually, and God says, you know what? I'm going to blot these people out. I'm going to destroy them, but that's a problem, isn't it, right? If everyone is going to be destroyed, where does this he, the offspring of Genesis 3:15, come in that's supposed to pay for the sins of the people who had trusted in God, who had trusted that there would be a savior? How is that going to happen? But we see there in verse eight, six, verse eight, "But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And that's what we have. number two in your notes, provision of a rescuer, provision of a rescuer. God is going to annihilate, flood the lands. We'll see that, uh, or I, I won't bother reading it, but uh, verses 6, 11 through 17, God tells Noah, hey, I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to kill and destroy everything in it, plants, animals, maybe not plants, I suppose, but animals and, and people, they're all going to be destroyed, but you and your family are going to be saved. You're going to survive in an, in an ark, you know, just a, a big boat, And you're going to rescue mankind in that way, and in the animals as well. And we even see in Genesis chapter six, verse seventeen and eighteen. See here, God says, "For behold, I will bring a flood of waters." Mm, That's not what I'm wanting. Uh, Anyways, long verses. Well God is establishing his covenant. I can't find it there. God, God's going to reestablish his covenant with, with him. Maybe it's seven. No. Nope. Is it eighteen? All right, thank you. Yes. But I will verse eighteen, says so six eighteen. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, and your sons wives with you. And every living thing of flesh, you shall bring two of every sort in the ark to keep them alive. They shall, shall be male or female. We'll, we'll stop there. God says, I'll establish my covenant with you. That's an interesting thing. This, this term establish, we often think of I'm going to make a covenant with you. But that's not, not always the meaning of that word. He's actually saying, I'm, I'm going to continue. I'm going to build upon this uh, covenant I've already made. What was that Covenant. Genesis 3.15, there there will be this offspring, this he who crushes the head of the servant. This is is what happens with Noah. I I just want us to get this. All is lost if there is no rescuer. All is lost. But God, in his grace and in keeping his promise, sends a rescuer. He, he empowers him to build this ark. He, he gives them the, these children, and they, they, they make it through this flood. It's an amazing story. It really is. Now, so humanity is saved. They will live another day. But I, I want to point out a little side note. This is just extra. Uh, the sons of Noah are Shem, Ham, and Japheth, okay? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So you have these offspring, Now it's it's kind of a weird part of the story, but the first thing or Noah, the first thing he does when he gets off the ark is he makes sacrifices to God and he does these things, but then he plants a vineyard. Then from that vineyard he makes wine. From that wine he gets drunk. Somehow he's also naked um, in his tent with with this drunkenness. And his son, uh, Ham, I believe it is, Ham walks into the tent, sees his father there drunk, passed out and naked. And he looks at him with scorn. So we're supposed to honor our father and mother, right? He, he looks upon his father's nakedness with, with this scorn. Then not only that, he goes out and tells his brother brothers, Shem and Japheth, hey, look, guess what dad did? He got drunk, passed out, naked. He's in there. You guys should you know, take a look. They, they, they change the, the direction of, of these things. They go in backward, drop a, a blanket over their father, cover his nakedness. When Noah wakes up, The Bible doesn't explain how, but it says he knew what had happened. He knew what Ham had done and what Shem and Japheth had done. And it says there that Noah curses his son Ham. (laughs) He curses his son Ham, then he blesses Shem and Japheth. So, the next person who comes on the scene, right, in the Bible, the the next big person that we see is going to be Abram or Abraham. Guess whose descendant he is not of. (laughs) He is not of Ham's, the cursed son of Noah. He actually is the son of Shem. So, again, that was a little side note, but you've got to see how God is working all these things out, this trail God is blazing. So, we we do. We come to uh, Abram, whose name is uh, later changed to Abraham. Abram is given uh, a huge promise in, in chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. You want to turn there? So 12 verses 1 through 3, I'll read. To, to, uh, so remember, Abram is Abraham. It says, Now the Lord said to Abr- Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless, uh, bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right there, this, this uh, covenant, this uh, uh, promise God is making to Abraham is a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. He, he will crush his head, he'll bruise his heel, he will defeat all the families of the earth, will be blessed through your offspring, Abram. But there is a problem, isn't there? Uh, abraham's wife sarah or sarah is is kind of what her name was before it was uh changed was barren she could not have children in addition abram abraham was was too old even to have children so there's this promise but there's no way for it to be fulfilled according to them in their eyes and even uh we see uh abram and and sarah kind of say well uh, Sarah says, I, "I can't have a child, so just take my servant Hagar, and, and sleep with her and ha- have, have the descendant through, through her." They take it into their own hands. But God acts differently, And that's the next point in your notes: provision of a descendant. God will provide. Even in, in spite of Abram's mistake, Abraham's mistake of, of uh, sleeping with his wife's servant, servant, and that's how we got Ishmael God still provides. So, in 21, we got to go a ways in our Bible. Genesis 21, 1-3, through three, we see this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, as he said he would, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. He made her pregnant. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. So th- th- there you have it, this, this new descendant, this, this new offspring who would finally uh, carry on this lineage, through whom all the nations would be blessed. God said, hey, you had this kid outside of my plan, Ishmael, but the world won't be blessed through him. They're going to be blessed through the child of promise, Isaac. Now, there's so much more we could go in here into here, like when God says, hey, sacrifice your son Isaac. Things get a little intense there, but we won't, we won't worry too much about it. We're going to go ahead and skip on to, to Isaac who is, it's supposed to be through him that, that this seed is carried on, that this offspring is carried on. There's a problem there as well. 25, chapter 25, if you want, you don't even have to go to these places if you don't want, but you're, you're welcome to, to walk with me through, through the Bible. 25 verses 20 through 21. It says there, And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Patamaran, and the the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So we'll pause there. (laughs) Again, the, the, the next person, Isaac, is now supposed to carry on. He's now the child of promise, and now he marries a woman who is barren. But it says in the next, the next part of that verse, And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So who, who did uh, Rebekah conceive? Jacob. Jacob and Esau. We, we have the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau, oddly enough, was the firstborn. I really can't go down that road because we won't have time. But Jacob actually ends up being the one who gets this birthright. And God actually said that the older will serve the younger. Uh, but again, I'm not going to go too far into that. So you have Jacob born, but there is another problem. In Genesis 29:21. I'm going to go there. Mm, that's not it. Man, I've got to get better at writing down the verse references. Oh, well. I'm not sure which one it is. Anyway, his wife, Rachel, is also barren. Uh, we see in chapter 30, verses 22 and 23, that that uh, Jacob is tricked into marrying not only Rachel, but her sister Leah as well. Again, you've got to read this stuff. It is insane. Um, but Leah is having all these children, but she's not the the, the wife, not the, the one that the, the blessing is to come through. It's supposed to be through Rachel, but Rachel is barren. But finally... Through, through Rachel, Jacob has children, has, has a child, uh, Joseph. So, we're at Joseph now, the, the next child of promise, the next miraculous child. I'm going to try and fly through this, uh, what we have going on here. Joseph, you might remember him as the one with the coat of many colors, you know, from the flannel graph in Sunday school as a kid. Coat of many colors, he, he's his father's favorite son. He's one of uh, 12 children um, under... Uh, jacob jacob by the way whose name is later changed to anyone israel so he's the father of israel the 12 sons are the 12 tribes of israel that's what we have going on and so joseph at one point because his brothers hate him because he's the favorite son they try to kill him he's now again the child of promise joseph is the one and they, they try they try to kill him but it just so happens that when they're going to kill him, an Egyptian slave caravan goes by. Just so happens that out in the wilderness where they're hiding their brother that they're going to kill, a slave caravan passes by. And so they sell him in, into slavery. He's taken to Egypt. Is going to get all crazy. Um, he gets sold he gets into the, the house of Potiphar. Um, he's working there. Potiphar's wife says, Hey, Joseph uh, tried to uh, take advantage of me sexually, we'll say. And so Joseph is thrown into prison. <laughs> this is the child of promise thrown into prison in Egypt. While he's there, the, the, the cupbearer is there. He interprets a dream for the cupbearer. The cupbearer of, of Pharaoh goes back to Pharaoh. I'm sorry if this is getting confusing. But the cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh Pharaoh has a dream that can't be interpreted, and the cupbearer says, hey, I know a guy. He's still in prison. He can interpret your dream. So, Joseph is pulled out of prison, taken to Pharaoh, interprets Pharaoh's dream. He's out of prison. That's great. What was the dream? The dream, uh, the, the, the uh, interpretation of the dream, was that there would be a famine That there would be this famine, that that everyone would be killed because they wouldn't have anything to eat. And so Joseph even gives the good advice, hey, we need to store up food. We need to store up all this food because we're going to have years of plenty, but then we're going to have years of nothing. So we need to store up in these years of plenty. And through that, through that provision, again, this is just the summary version, through that provision, Egypt and Israel, the, 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 the brothers, the father and the brothers, they are saved. They would have been wiped out. The family of promise would have been wiped out if it weren't for what Joseph did, for being sold into slavery in Potiphar's house, put in prison, and then interprets the dream and gives the good advice. It would have been wiped out otherwise. But God provided. God provided uh, through these these descendants. Now, an interesting thing happens after Joseph um, is there for a while, he, he has you know his brothers and his family come down there to Egypt. They have um, all the rights to the kingdom. They're they're treated like uh, kings themselves. But then Joseph dies, and then there's a new Pharaoh put in place. I guess the old Pharaoh, uh, pharaoh dies, and there's this new one. And so you have the, these people that they're now called the Israelite people. They're they're uh, growing in number. They're they're multiplying, and they're getting stronger. And we see in Exodus chapter 1, it might be helpful to to go there, Exodus chapter 1, yeah, verses, we'll go through 6, uh, 6 through 22, Exodus chapter 1, 6 verse 22, it says there, Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to, them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and, and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. and all their work, they were ruthlessly made to work as slaves. Here we go, verse 15. There's a, a new problem. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, uh, one of whom was named Shifrin and the other was Puah, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on their birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. It says, verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt did. Commanded them. Now I'm going to skip for a moment. They weren't doing what, what they asked. So in verse 22, same chapter 122, it says there, because they weren't uh, killing the boys like they were supposed to, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, is cutting off the Israelite people. He's saying there there won't be any males. We will not allow this to happen because they'll be able to to rise up against us. But the very next thing that we see happen is, number four in your notes, provision of a deliverer. Provision of a deliverer. God's people, again, are in slavery. Their, Their children are being killed, but God works. We see in uh, Exodus chapter two. I'm not going to go uh, into too much of this, but Moses, his his parents uh, have him. They hide him for a while. But when they can no longer hide him, they put him in a basket. <laughs> they put him in a basket and float him in the river. And who finds him? Anyone remember? Pharaoh's daughter <laughs> finds Moses. This this Israelite boy who's supposed to be killed. He's supposed to be thrown in the river, but not in a basket. You understand? I'm sure. Um, and so Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and, and she, she has pity on him. She, she wants to keep him. So strangely enough, as the story goes, um, Moses' mo- mother actually gets to raise him up until he's uh, weaned and then gives Moses back to Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house. This child, who's supposed to be dead, ends up in the most lavish place in, in all the world because uh, Egypt was the strongest empire at the time. But then we see in uh, Exodus chapter 2 also that Moses kills an Egyptian. Not good. Pharaoh finds out. He flees to Midian. Then in in Exodus 3, something you might remember, there is a burning bush. Moses is is walking along in, in the wilderness in Midian, and there's this burning bush that talks to him. Already, things are getting weird, but this, again, is how our God provide, provided this deliver. He tells Moses, hey, you need to go back to Egypt. You need to tell Pharaoh to let, let his people go. You know, those are the famous words, let my people go. <clears throat> so Moses does. He goes back, um, not without arguing first, but he goes back. And then we had something called the ten plagues happen. You might remember the frogs, the, the water turned to blood, the, the, the death of the firstborn, and all these things. So Pharaoh finally lets them go, right? So they're, they're, they're leaving, they get to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind, so he's chasing them. They pass through on dry land because God splits the Red Sea, then God crushes the Egyptian army. I know I'm giving you a super summarized version. I'm just wanting to show you, this is God providing for his promise. <clears throat> when it seems that there was no way out of their problem, they're in slavery, their children are being killed, when they are finally let go, the, the, the army of the strongest uh, empire in the world comes after them when there seems like there is no way God provides a deliverer. God provides this deliverance. It's amazing. Now, the people did not immediately go into the promised land, even though they just saw God do these amazing things, which, mind you, this is my, the whole point of my sermon this morning. They saw God do these things. They should have trusted God, but they didn't. So they, you know, they send the spies in. And uh, Joshua and Caleb say, it's good, let's go. God, there, there are giants there, there are armies there, let's do it. <laughs> we can take it with God. But the other spies say, no, no, we can't do it. And so they wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they did not trust the promises of God. <clears throat> Eventually, after uh, Moses has died, they, they do finally go in um, under Joshua's reign, and that's, that's the, not reign, his, his leadership, that's the book of Joshua. And they go in and they, they take out um, all these cities. It becomes their land. And then you have the time of the judges. That's when uh, they're, they're in there. But uh, because of their sin, Israel keeps getting attacked. And you have people like Samson. And, and just all these crazy things um, happen in that time. And so finally, they, they get a king. They get a king, Saul. We won't worry too much about that. Uh, but then you have David come on the scene. And this is number five in your notes, provision of a ruler. I, I said we won't worry about Saul. Let's worry about Saul for a second. Um, Saul was made king, but he had a fatal flaw to him. <laughs> he wouldn't obey God. He, he usurped his, uh, the authority God gave him. Uh, for instance, um, God t- told him, as a king, you are not allowed to uh, make sacrifices. You're not allowed to make sacrifices. But at one point, the Philistines are attacking them, and he's, he's nervous, and Samuel, the, the prophet, isn't there yet, so he makes a sacrifice to the Lord. It just goes to show you that, that uh, anyway, trying to worship God but doing it in a disobedient way is, is still disobedience. Uh, but that's what he did, and so he he's, uh, get, gets rebuked then. Then later, when, when he's told to kill all of the Amalekites, uh, kill all of them, all of their livestock, all these things— he kills all the people, but then he takes the choice animals. He, he says, these are too nice. Uh, you know what? We'll sacrifice these to the Lord. That's how he rationalizes it. And again, he's rebuked. God told you specifically not to make sacrifices. God told you specifically not to, uh, to take any spoils of war in this, but you did it anyway. And that's why they needed this ruler. And that's why God provided a ruler. And God even says in Samuel, First um, Samuel Uh, I'm not gonna worry about where it is (laughs) now. I can't remember Um, that, that God will send a king that is after his own heart You've heard that that david was a man after god's own heart That's that's what's going on here is you had saul leading the people away from god. Yeah, god said that but let's do this But god brings along david who'll lead the people in the right way So How how was uh this ruler brought about? Well, we know that Samuel, the, the prophet, was sent to the house of Jesse, okay? And there were uh, seven, son, he had eight sons, I believe, in total. And, but did God choose the strongest one, the most mature one? No. We, we see it in, in the book of Samuel that, that it was actually the little shepherd boy, David, that was out watching the flock that was chosen to be this ruler. And what kind of ruler was he? I'm going to read this uh, 1 Samuel seventeen thirty two. First 1 Samuel seventeen thirty two. 32. Um, this is the, when Goliath is there saying, uh, mocking God and doing all these things and saying, I'll take you out, this is the Philistine um, Goliath. Verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant, "Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear, uh, when, when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. So he saved the, the, the sheep from the lion or the bear. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him." Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God, defied the armies of the living God. And David said, I love this. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. This is the kind of ruler that David is for the people of Israel. He's not not a ruler who's going to go his own way, do his own thing. He's a ruler that says, you know what? I'm going to move boldly forward because I trust God. God's delivered me before. He'll deliver me again. I can trust God, so I will do this uh, thing against this person who's mocking God. He kills Goliath, we know. And over time, eventually, he becomes the king, and he turns the hearts of the people back to God. Now, the Bible, as I should point this out as well, the Bible makes it very clear throughout these books uh, later that Jesus, this, this uh, Genesis 3.15 offspring, would then sit on the throne of David. He would be offspring of David, the, the, the uh, seed of Jesse, once again, David's father. And so we have David, we have this new ruler, this new person who, who this uh, Messiah is going to come through. But there are a lot of problems that happen after David. A lot of problems happen in Israel, and you can uh, read it in your Bibles, but we'll just summarize it as number six in your notes, the provision of a people, the provision of a people. Israel had every reason to be wiped off the face of the earth many, many, many times uh, after David's reign. So again, the, the Messiah will now come through, you know, from uh, Eve, it'll be offspring, then through uh, Seth, then through Noah, then through uh, Shem, <laughs> then through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, and, and on down, and then now through David, he'll come. But the problem is, we have uh, the, the kingdom split shortly after uh, the death of um, Solomon, who is David's son. So you have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and in 722 B.C., that's, that's B.C., by the way, not, that, that wouldn't be, uh, what, 1,300 years ago, that would be 2,800 years ago, you know, I don't know the math there, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> A long, long time ago, 722 B.C., Assyria raids the northern kingdom and takes them into uh, ex- exile. Then, in 586 B.C., Babylon raids the southern kingdom of Judah and takes them into exile. That's where you get stories like Daniel... Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these crazy things when they're in exile in Babylon. Now, uh, eventually uh, Persia takes over Babylon, and oh, there's some other uh, great stories you have there, Esther, uh, everyone's trying to to kill them, and um, just all these times Israel is trying, or not Israel's trying, uh, all these other nations are trying to wipe out this nation, this nation of promise, through which the rest of the world will be blessed, through this he-offspring trying to be wiped out. But in amazing ways, if you read it, amazing ways the Israelites are sent back to Israel. And through guys like uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuild the city of Jerusalem, they rebuild its walls, and slowly Israel is rebuilt. This nation that should have been wiped out so many times is rebuilt. And in 63 B.C., uh, Israel becomes formally under the Roman Empire. So that's how when you come to Jesus' time, you have people like Herod and, you know, they're, they're Roman kings. So they're not a free people, but they have survived unbelievable odds against them. All, all these kingdoms around them, seriously, all these kingdoms around them are wiped off the face of the planet. Ne- ne- There's only just, you know, a footnote in history. But Israel, this, this little nation... Survives through all of this. And that's how we come finally to number seven in your notes provision of a Messiah. The provision of a Messiah. See, Israel, again, they've been ruled by someone else for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years at this point. When we come to the point of the Messiah, Jesus. They've been ruled for hundreds of years. At this point, they're under Roman rule, and they desperately wanted this Messiah, someone to release them from this bondage that they're in. And those who truly understood the situation understood that it was a lot more than just political bondage that they were under. There were people like, I believe his name was Simeon, and there was Anna, that they were waiting for the, the, the Messiah to come, that the Bible tells us. And finally, that's what we see happen in the story. Just long story short, we see another miraculous birth. Mary, the the, the virgin girl, she she becomes pregnant. And she births he, the Messiah from Genesis 3.15. He who will crush the serpent's head and whose heel will be bruised. And we know that he did that on the cross. I just want to take a step back for a moment. We, we've looked, looked at a lot of things here. I know I've said a lot. But look at the provision of God. We have uh, even just four miraculous births that I've mentioned to you. We had Isaac born, Jacob born, Joseph born, then, and Jesus born. And there are many more in the Bible. Even Samuel the prophet uh, was miraculously born. Anyway, um, amazing how God provided And I want to point out to you that this provision of a Messiah wasn't just the end point. He was actually the culmination. He was the climax of all these other provisions. They were a shadow of this Messiah coming. Let me show you that real quick. If you look at your notes, you'll be able to follow with me. You have the provision of a replacement, right? Seth, he was a good replacement uh, for Abel. But we know that Jesus is the perfect replacement for Adam the head of the human race, Adam, that Jesus is the perfect replacement. And Hebrews even tells us that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's. Abel's blood, you remember, cried out from the ground uh, for judgment against Cain. Jesus' blood cries out for forgiveness for those who have sinned against God. (laughs) Jesus is a much better replacement. He is the climax of this replacement. The next one, provision of a rescuer. Noah rescued himself and his family so that humanity could go on against this judgment and cleansing of God. But we know that Noah and his sons eventually died. They still died. Jesus, however, is the rescuer. Jesus himself is the ark that that will take all of us, if we've trusted in him, through the ultimate judgment of God. (laughs) You know, Noah brought them through a flood. Jesus brings us through the fire it's amazing jesus is a much better greater rescuer the next one you see number three provision of a descendant god provided miraculous life for for uh, abraham isaac and jacob where these women only had barren wombs god brought life human life but you know what jesus does jesus provides miraculous life in this cold dead heart My heart was barren. My heart was was only stone. But Jesus miraculously put life in my heart. he, He makes me a much greater descendant. I'm a descendant of the promise because of the miraculous birth, new birth Jesus brought about in my life and yours if you've trusted in him. Jesus' provision of a descendant is much better as he makes us descendants of promise. Next we see provision of a deliverer where Moses... Delivered the Israelite people from Egyptian slavery, Jesus delivers us from our, our captivity, our slavery, to Satan, sin, and death. Egyptian slavery, I'll take that all day long compared to being captive to Satan, sin, and death. But that's what Jesus delivers us from. We have next the provision of a ruler. Where David was a ruler that led people to God. Jesus is a ruler who now comes into our hearts and leads us to himself. He doesn't just show us the way. He he writes that way on our hearts. He he leads us where we need to go and he he rules us with kindness and grace and peace. That's the, the ruler that Jesus is. He's a much better ruler than David. Then we see number six, the provision of a people where the Israelite people were kept alive through all these these, uh, exiles and, and wars and all of this. We now, with Jesus, are kept spiritually alive, even though we are aliens in this world. See, Israel was taken to Assyria. Israel was taken to Babylon. They were aliens and strangers in that world. But I'll tell you, if you are a child of God, you are now an alien and a stranger in this world. The the world doesn't understand why we live the way we live, why we do what we do, say what we say, and don't do what we do, uh, you know, what we don't do. The world doesn't understand that. But Jesus is a provider of of, of a people. He he holds us through this time of exile as we, we sojourn. We have a heavenly city that we await, but Jesus preserves us to the end. And that's when we get to the provision of a Messiah. He is the, the culmination, the fulfillment of all these other provisions of God that started with that promise, Genesis 3.15. And why is this so important? Why is this so important? Why did I bother to go through all of that? Well, I think if we can see that God made all the provisions necessary to fulfill his promises of Genesis 3.15. He he made the promise, he provided, and then he was good on his promise. He uh, produced on that promise. Can't we trust him with our lives now? Can't we trust him now? God makes so many promises in the Bible. I'm going to list some for you here in a second. God makes so many promises in the Bible, but my question is, Are you acting on them? Are you living in light of them? Are you living as though those promises are true? And if we see that God not only makes promises, but that he's also trustworthy, that he provides for the way of those promises to be fulfilled, then you should have every reason to trust him. Every reason to trust him. Jerry, uh, I I won't ask your age. you've, You've been walking with God for quite some time, haven't you? How many times has God let you down? How many times has God let you down? None. God has never let this man down. Jesse, how many times has God let you down? None. God has never let these great saints down. And what I want to tell you is we all can live as though God will not let us down. Listen to some of these prayers. We might think, if I give my whole life, my time, my energy, my affections to God, then then I'll have a terrible life. Things won't go well for me. Psalms uh, 84.11 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. We talked about that. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide towards God. Be filled with him. He will fill you. That's a promise. Romans 8.32, I love this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You think God's trying to rob you by telling you to give, him, give, yourself, give your life to him? You think God's trying to rob you by saying, serve me, obey me? He gave you his son. He gave you the greatest gift imaginable. What would possibly make you think he's trying to rob you on this one with the rest of your life? Luke twelve thirty two. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love that. John fifteen eleven, Jesus says, These things, these commands I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. It's the thief, Satan, that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but it's Jesus who comes that we might have life and life abundantly. We've got to remember that. These are promises, guys. But what if I am incapable of doing what God wants? Paul uh, had a thorn in his side. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he prays to God, take take this away from me, take this thorn away from me. But God said to me, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. (laughs) God's not worried about your power. He's worried about using weak people to do his will. Do you trust him? You're going to act on that. You say, I, I, I don't know if I can do it. <clears throat> can your God do it? Didn't he promise you that he could? Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Don't be anxious about your life. You don't have to be anxious. Philippians four nineteen: And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We're afraid we don't have what we need, but God says he will supply it. What if the risk is too great? What if the, the risk is too great for what God asks of me? What if it even costs me my life? Romans 8, 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, no matter what risk you take, you've got nothing to lose. Your soul rests secure in God. You can risk it all. You can risk it all. I promise you. <laughs> Actually, God promises you, and I'm just relaying his promises. You can risk it all. You say, well, I can't beat this sin. I've got this sin, and I know that I shouldn't be doing it, but no matter how, bad I, how hard I try, I can't get, get free from this sin. But the Bible tells us 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, that's what we're talking about, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Some of you have had some of the ultimate addictions. I've had conversations with you when you've told me this. But you've also told me God showed you that way out, and he was it. Finding him rather than this sin. God pulls us out. And how about this? As we come on this Christmas season, when I, I hope and pray that you get opportunities to share the gospel. I can't share the gospel. I've already told you that I believed this one uh, very early on. Acts 1-8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Has the Holy Spirit come upon you? Are you saved? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Okay. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You can share the gospel. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus even says uh, in the Great Commission, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's a heavy load right there. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God has made amazing promises to you. Your life will be flipped upside down in a radical way, a radically God-centered, Christ-exalting life if you will hear the promises of God and believe them to be true. What saves us? It is by grace through faith that you're saved. What, what changes us? What sanctifies us? What makes us more like Christ? It's our faith. It's the same thing. We've got to continue trusting the promises of God. And if, G, if God kept His promises, provided the way for the Savior to come through all that opposition, God wiped everyone off the face of the earth but kept a family. God, God, God used three different barren women to, to, to bear the offspring, God, God did all this provision. He gave His Son. Why can't we trust Him today to provide everything that we need to keep all His promises? God says he, he will reward us. Evidently, we don't believe it. We don't believe His promises. God says We will enjoy Him if we obey Him. Evidently, we don't believe it. The Bible says You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the Lord but evidently we look for our promises in other places as though those are going to fulfill it. Trust God, obey God, take risks for God, serve God, sacrifice for God. You will not come out on the losing end. God, Jesus, is a safe bet every time. Spend your life on him. And he, his provision, is our Christmas gift that we talked about today. I want to ask you to receive that gift, to look at the provision that God did. Not just the promise that there will be a Savior, but the provision that God uh, did, I want to say provided, but, you know, repetitive, that God provided for this promise to happen. That can happen with every promise He's made to us from His Word. Are you going to trust Him? That's, that's really the battle. It's all a battle of faith. Am I going to believe God? I believe through, through this, the testimony of Scripture, as, as we look at it, as we we, we soak it in, we can see the trustworthiness of our promise-making, promise-keeping God. Let's pray.